Will you pray with me? May your word be our rule and your spirit our teacher. And the glory of Christ our only concern. Amen. So I'm not going to preach on the text that Bob, uh, that Bob mentioned. I'm going to preach on this passage out of Luke 13. I'm going to read it in chunks. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed, who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the other living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Here's the backstory on what's going on. Pilate wanted to fund a public works project to bring water into Jerusalem and out of Jerusalem. And to fund this public works project to sort of garner the favor of the people and provide water, he wanted to use funds from the temple. And there were some who were very opposed to using funds from the temple. And maybe you think getting water in and out of the city is a good use of the temple funds. That's how some people felt. Some people felt pretty strongly the other way. Israel is living under Roman occupation. And there are those among them who think, let's just make the best of what we have. Get along with the Romans. And so they, if they want to use some of our temple tax for a water project, so let it be. There were others, the Galileans among them, who were kind of a fringe group. Were kind of, um, who felt strongly about the separation between temple and empire. At times you might even call them extremists. And so some of these Galileans are opposing this project that Pilate has started. And so they've gathered in Jerusalem and in the temple to sort of protest what Pilate is doing with the temple funds. And Pilate sent some guards. This is all sort of collected, you know, from extra biblical literature that I found in commentaries this week. Um, Pilate sends some, some, some troops kind of undercover to quell this rebellion, this protest that's happening in the temple. And, um, and, 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 and they carry out an attack that turns out to be much more violent than maybe Pilate had even intended. And people are slaughtered even inside the temple. And the blood, you know, and so that's where the phrase, their blood has mingled with the sacrifices. Pilate has killed the Galileans opposing this use of the temple tax. And their blood has spilled into the sacrifices. And so there are some who see what has happened and say, well, the Galileans kind of got what was coming to them. Clearly they are on the wrong side of the political aisle. Their murder is God's justice for this. And we should align ourselves a little bit more under, with Rome so that we can get by. Perhaps they had coming to them what they got. Jesus reads their minds. Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No. And then Jesus says, what about the 18 who died recently in the Tower of Siloam? It is quite possible that the 18 who died in the Tower of Siloam were working on the very building project that Jesus was referring to. That Pilate had begun this building project for water and that there were some Jews among them who said, listen, it's fine, we'll work on this project. Um, It's good work, it'll bring water to the city, whatever, we'll work on it. A tower apparently collapsed 
fell, killing 18 of them. And so some among them say, well, no, see, the tower fell on those 18 and killed them. That was God's justice for their tacit endorsement of the Roman Empire. Jesus says, no, nope. Unless you repent, you all will perish just as they did. Jesus flatly dismisses the popular assumption that catastrophes and death were direct responses of God to human sin. God did not bless and approve the murder of the Galileans, and he did not collapse the Tower of Siloam to punish particular people for particular sins. And God today does not use natural catastrophes or catastrophes of human origin to punish certain categories of people for their sin. Does sin have consequences? Yes, sure. If you treat the climate terribly, we are discovering, it will have consequences. If you disinvest from communities and cut them off from resources, it will have consequences. If you sow seeds of hatred, you will reap violence. Sin has consequences. Does God use catastrophe? Does God use the tough, terrible things? Sure. When I lost control of a van when I was 16, I'd just gotten my license, and I splintered the sign of a of a, the post of a wooden a wooden post of a stop sign with the side of my Dodge Caravan, and saw my little life flash before my eyes. Um, did God use that event? Sure. Yes. I learned from it. But did God lock my brakes up to teach me something? Or to punish me? No. But Jesus isn't primarily concerned with articulating a, a doctrine of God's will for these people. He's not particularly sure with making sure they understand um, um, how this all works. He seems particularly interested in their repentance. Jesus' primary concern isn't helping them understand the doctrine of God's will. He tells them to repent because their view of the world as a constant report of God's judgment has them asking the wrong questions. Something terrible happens, and rather than lament the loss of their fellow human beings and repent themselves, they enter into arguments about whether the murder of the Galileans was justification of their own political stance, or whether the tower in Siloam was proof that God was opposed to Pilate's project. They used it as a, as a measuring stick for who was on the right side and who was on the wrong side and how was God making decisions amongst people. And repentance is replaced with blaming and arguing. Picking back up. Then he told this parable. A man had planted a fig tree in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So a fig tree 
clearly representing Israel or people, doesn't produce fruit, and therefore it's under threat of being cut down. Um, This is a little tricky. Right after Jesus has said that these terrible things that have happened are not a result of sin, he seems to be saying, he tells a story where the punchline is basically a terrible thing might happen to you if you do not produce fruit. So that's, that's kind of a problem. The fig tree in the Old and New Testaments is representative of God's people, Israel, the church. Jesus is saying something to the effect of, you continue to try to produce and establish the wrong fruit. You continue to try and craft an earthly kingdom based on power and judgment and control, there is still time. Seek the kingdom of God. And I'll swing back to this story in the conclusion. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues in the Sabbath, and just then appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years, and she was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hand on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath, untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give water? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from the bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. A woman enters the synagogue, bent. She has an ailment which draws suspicion. She has had it for 18 years, and for 18 years she has walked to the synagogue, and people have asked her what she did. In the same way that Job's friends corner him and ask him, what did you do, Job? Fess up. This woman has racked her brain, trying to sort out where she misstepped, what sin she has committed, that resulted in this deformity? What calamitous indiscretion caused this calamity? What did I do wrong? What did she do wrong? The onlookers ask. Jesus doesn't even consider any of these questions. Not of her and not of you. Jesus sees a human, a daughter of Abraham, he says, an endearing phrase. Jesus sees family. The leader of the synagogue wonders whether she is defiling the sacred space that he is tasked with keeping. He knows that it is Sabbath and he knows the rules of the Sabbath and they run through his head which ones might potentially be broken. What should I do? Should I say something? Should I stop Jesus from calling her? Would God want me to preserve the holiness of his house? by stopping Jesus from breaking Sabbath laws. Jesus calls the woman over and lays a hand gently on her and says, Be loosed. 
And she stands upright and shouts, Hosanna. And I have had the pleasure of hearing a Palestinian woman upright, bright and booming, loud and full of heart. And the Sabbath has been broken. Sin. And in the synagogue, no less, the insolence, the lack of respect, the shame on my head, thinks the synagogue's master. The synagogue master turns to the others who have gathered at the side of the synagogue, those with limps and leprosy and blindness and illness who are standing on the edge of the church wondering if they might come in, wondering if Jesus might call them next, hoping that they also might be healed. You can see them standing so hopefully. The master of the synagogue doesn't address Jesus. He avoids Jesus. He confers with the men standing behind him who have his back. And he turns to the poor and the broken and the ugly who have gathered on the side of the synagogue. And he says callously, come on a weekday. No. Jesus steps forward and turns his head. You hypocrites. You will loose a donkey and an ox, but you will not loose this daughter of Abraham, your sister. The synagogue master is put to shame, and the poor on the side watching pump their fists. They have their champion. Jean Vanier is a French Catholic philosopher who was on the On Being podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, he spent much of his life creating a community called L'Arche, which is a home and now a network of homes for people with severe disabilities. And um, I would encourage you to listen to the whole podcast. It's incredibly lovely. Um, but he told the story of, of someone uh, at, visiting L'Arche and a woman had lived there for 30 years and she, um, you know, he said, severely handicapped and could only could walk a few steps, couldn't really feed herself, was nonverbal, incontinent. Um, and after 30 years, she was going blind um, and, and, and had lost her sight. And a woman visiting the community had this reaction. What is the point of keeping her alive? And the staff member, the woman uh, who kind of ran the little house that, uh, at, at Larsh, replied, Madam, I love this woman. She asked the wrong question. And so do the crowds. So does this master in the synagogue. Who's right? Who's wrong? Jesus would have us ask, how can I love this person? How can I love this person? Pay attention to the questions that you ask. And if you find yourself asking something other than how can I love this person? Repent and ask a different question. 
I had that question on my mind yesterday when I was leaving uh, Barnes and Noble, and uh, there was a guy selling Streetwise, and he was um, in a wheelchair. And I, I had bought a Streetwise on the way in, and and he uh, he, he was like unable to move his arms, and so I, I put money in in his um, like his fanny pack or whatever he was wearing, and, and took a Streetwise. And then on the way out, we were saying goodbye, and Maya was. Was my daughter Maya was was waving at him, and um, and and we said goodbye and we were walking and and Maya kind of just kept waving, and um, I had this question on my mind, you know, um, how do I how can I love this person, and so I I said to Maya I was like, I asked Maya, do you want to give him a hug, and she and she looked at me, yes, and so I I carried her over, and uh, it was just this beautiful. Just this beautiful exchange, um, and you know, he said, um, you know, we, had, we 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 talked for a little bit, and he said, "Man, that just made my day," and it made mine too. And um, I th- you know, th- it was just a beautiful example of um, if that question is on our mind, if that's the question we're walking with, rather than all of the other questions that are so easy to ask. And for asking that question that I think we're capable of creating those beautiful thin spaces where God's love for people is so clear and so obvious. Perhaps God is not just the farmer frustrated that the fig tree won't bear fruit. Perhaps God is also the groundskeeper who is determined to give us a bit more time, who has said, let me give this child another chance. Let me give this tree another go. Let me let her, let me give her exactly what she needs to know that she is loved and to bear fruit. Jesus calls the bent woman over and the synagogue objects, but Jesus responds, ah, but sir, I love this woman. And it's my synagogue and you exist to love her too. And I will buy you a little more time so that you might repent and bear fruit. Let's pray. Oh, we grieve with you over the loss of life this week, the loss of life in our own city, the loss of life in Christ church. Oh, we pray that we would follow you to the cross and that we would ask, how might we love people this week? Help us to repent and turn, to love one another well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.